today's sermon, which is part of a series, um, our Advent series. Last week, I shared with you guys about the nature of waiting, because Advent really is about the coming of Jesus. With all ex- we, we as a humanity have experienced the first advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, right? That was 2,000 years ago. You and I weren't there physically, but as a human race, uh, we've gone through the first advent of Jesus, right? And last week, we looked at how people wait and how God's people waited in those 400 years of silence um, for the coming of Jesus. And we are living in an era, in a time in history, when we are waiting for the second advent of Jesus. We are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And to some extent, every year as we come around to Christmas time, we remember the need to wait for Jesus uh, uh, to show up in might, in power, in our lives, in some situation that you're facing. And that can be very real. You might be facing a situation where you're crying out to God and saying, God, I need you here. And you're saying, God, I've been waiting. I'm, I'm, I, I, I want you here. I'm waiting for you to be here. And, and you're waiting for a breakthrough. How many of you guys, you are waiting for a breakthrough in your life? The, the last two years has ravaged something in your life and you're waiting for something to be restored Again, you're waiting for a breakthrough to take you out of a certain situation finally. If that is you, then we understand the nature of waiting. We understand the nature of waiting. And last week, we looked at the... Let, let, let's do a little recap of last week. Why don't we, right? I, I showed you the whole timeline of God's people, right? Uh, and, and how sometimes when we read the Old Testament, it can feel very disjointed because we get all the way to the point where God's people come back from being exiled in Babylon. And if you look in the middle, the, at, at the checkered flag, it's almost like they come back from Babylon, God's people return to the promised land, they set up home in their original home all over again, and then, they wait and that story kind of ends there right and then we don't know really what happens in between but now Sungai Bulo Church knows what happens in between because uh, we heard that last week and if you didn't get to hear last week's sermon you can swing around to to um, our podcast our YouTube and, and, and catch up on that but what essentially happens is they wait and as they wait two dynasties Two familial dynasties arise to take on what looks like an approximation of a messianic reign. It's not the real thing. One is the Hasmonean dynasty ruled by the Maccabean family, okay, and and it's some 200 years, they rule, uh, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of stability among God's people. It looks like the real thing, right? In, in many ways, it's like, wow, is a Jewish ruler, it's, um, uh, um, it's stable, and, and they managed to kick out uh, uh, the, 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 the Greeks and all this kind of thing. So, so it looks good, you know, and then that gets supplanted by Herod the Great, uh, and then you got about three generations plus of the Herodian dynasty, a lot more ruthless, uh, um, but, they, but they really uh, uh, um, uh, get rid of everyone who, is, who stands up against them, every rival to the throne, and, and then he's starting to think, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought we were waiting for a Messiah. And then some people might say, yes, that is what we're waiting for, a Messiah. And don't these look like saviors? They saved us from the, the Greeks, some of these people are saving us from, from uh, uh, becoming uh, fully fully swamped in by the Romans, you know, they're keeping us a, a, a Roman vassal state and not anything worse, you know. Why not? Why not? 
not too bad, right? And so in the process of waiting, last week it's like we go to the engine and we lift the lid and we look at what's underneath and how waiting works. And we saw last week that when you wait, sometimes our hearts are prone to slipping, sliding, and either trusting in only an approximation of the promise of God. Either that or we abandon the promise of God altogether and we trust in ourselves and we say, it's me, I'm going to take care of this from now on. You know, God, forget it. You know, I'm just going to jaga uh, my own life, you know. And that's essentially what the Hasmonean dynasty and the Herodian dynasties uh, um, kind of dealt with in their, uh, kind of exposed in the hearts of God's people. Now, today we want to lift the lid on something else related Integral to the waiting process, waiting for a saviour, is the longing that comes, you know, dovetailing with the waiting. And that, and that longing really speaks about the desires that we have for a saviour, the desires we are, we are waiting for to see God work, to see something happen. Now, church... I know when we talk about longing, okay, longing is like, like a really, it's like a deep desire, right? And so, so for example, how many of you guys, you, you, would like, you would like chicken rice for lunch? How many of you all, you want chicken rice for lunch, right? right? Even here and online, I don't know if any of you all raise hands, there are like four hands, five hands here. You want chicken rice for lunch. Now, it's one thing to say, I want chicken rice for lunch, right? I, we get it, right? I want chicken rice for lunch. Let's go with an English word that's a little bit like underneath want, okay? There's something deeper. What if you heard someone say, I desire chicken rice for lunch? <laughs> You're laughing, right? You're laughing, right? Because it's like, wow, your, 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 your relationship with chicken rice is quite special, right? I desire chicken rice for lunch. Now, let's go one level deeper. What if you said, I long for chicken rice for lunch? Wow, wow, we got, we got two hands up here. We got two hands. Someone here longs for chicken rice, right? So now, why I, I'm showing you that even at the level of our normal English words, you can see that there are surfacial desires. Surfacial desires, we just throw them out. You know, I want chicken rice. What do you want? Um, I want, uh, man, I want a break, you know, or something like that. You, you, you use language like that, right? And this just speak of all the surface things that we want, right? Um, and that's okay. That's very normal. And then underneath these ones, underneath these uh, uh, um, things that we want, um, there are. It's like a. It's like a furnace. You know. You can imagine that underneath it, there's this boiling furnace of the deepest set desires. And these are the longings. These are the things that's driving you, that's fueling you. And sometimes we don't know how to conceal them, and they show. Sometimes we learn to conceal them very well, you know, and, and, and they may not show so, so much. But, but that's, that's where I want us to step in to thinking about our longings for God, as we wait for God to show up in our lives, as we and and by the way, when I say wait for God to show up, I don't mean He's not active and present all the time. He is. It's just that sometimes while waiting for Him to work something that is visible to us, we get nervous. We get we we, we get you know we get anxious because we are not seeing Him act in a way that we consider acting. Even though I want to teach you, all of us to know this, God is constantly present, constantly active in our lives. He's not distant, making a trip down to earth to us, you know, um, as, if, as if he's a far and distant God. That's not our God. Always active, 
always present. But sometimes while we wait to see him act and when we wait to interpret what is happening around us as something he is doing, it may not always be obvious that he has acted. And so what's happening with our longings and our desires? I want to show you three things. Okay, I want to show you three things. Um, about this and then I want to go into into some Bible so if you can get the slides back up you know um, three points oh, actually you know what why don't I why don't I show you uh, a text from Psalm 37 okay can we have Psalm 37 first right Psalm 37 I'm going to read this it says fret not yourself because of evildoers it's very strange it opens with fret not over evildoers now why are uh, why? Uh, you want to know why? Because evildoers seem to thrive in this life, right? In fact, you just have to go like one slide back, okay? You don't have to go click it, but one slide back, I was just showing you about the, uh, the two earthly kingdoms, earthly dynasties of the Maccabean family and the Herod family who were ruthless and they were cruel. At least the Herod one was so cruel and they, they grip power like nothing, you know. They, they are like, I mean, you think about the worst of, of politics and people who are being tyrannical, you know, in the world today and you have to multiply that before you arrive at someone like Herod the Great. This is the guy who killed all the baby boys when Jesus was born, right? So that's quite, that's quite something. And if you live in an environment where these things perpetually, uh, you know, cycle into seasons of thriving, you're going to look at Psalm 37 and say, wow, I, this is a promise from God. For us, we have that too in maybe a, a adjusted way, right? That when we look at evildoers happening in our land and we say, God, please make the prison sentence stand, right? Or we may say, God, please, um, federal court, what? You mean there's one more layer where they can appeal? God, please, please uphold the, ju the justice in this land. Why? Because I'm fretting over the work of evildoers, right? Now, Psalm 37 says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. In other words, we see all these things that what they can get away with it. Maybe I want also. No, don't. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Watch your desires. Watch your longings. Why? Verse two. For they will soon fade like grass, and wither like green herb. Right? And haven't they? We look at even even the Hasmonean kingdom. You know, two hundred years. That's quite long, and still it's faded away. The Herodian kingdom was even shorter, it's like not even a hundred years, right? Faded away. Now, my friends, all these things come and go, come and go. Do we live in an era where we see evildoers thrive? Yes, we do. Guess what? They too will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. But instead, what? What do we do with what's deep inside our hearts? Don't get envious, don't get anxious, but what? Trust in the Lord. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness. I like that expression, befriend faithfulness. In other words, trust in Him. Delight in Him. Delight yourself in Yahweh. He will give you the desires of your heart. So this is really where we're pressing into this whole thinking about what are you longing for in this season of your life? What are you longing for? Even for this Christmas, are you longing for a family reunion? Are you longing for A and B to make up again so that we can 
all sit around the table once again? Are you longing for for a uh, for a financial situation to to, to 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 have a bit of break, just a bit of breakthrough? Is that your longing? Are you longing for a health situation to finally find and see healing? What is the desire of your heart? Psalm thirty-seven is saying, "Don't get anxious. Don't start." jumping, running here and there and don't start envying other people for their lot in life as well. He says, trust in Yahweh, delight in Yahweh. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in Him and He will act. In other words, He is not distant. He is not passive. He will act, but He will act when he, when you, in your life, when there is a relationship of trusting in Him, delighting in Him, and committing your way to Him. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. Remember, the contrast is the, the context of the contrast banging into the mic. Okay, the context of the contrast is evildoers seeming to thrive and, uh, and, and the pious are crying out like, why, why like that, right? And he's saying, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as noonday. Be still before Yahweh and wait patiently for him. And then it bookends. Starts with fret not, it ends with fret not. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Now, my friends, what this little section is trying to show us is that deep underneath our hearts, there is a desire, there is a longing for, for something. And what that something is, is something that can slip, it can slide, and God is constantly trying to remind us, pull it back, anchor it down in me. Don't let it slide everywhere. Anchor it down in Yahweh. In what? Trusting in Him, delighting in Him, committing to Him. And when you anchor your longings in our God, he will act. And when He acts, no one can stand in that way. So on that note, knowing that... Everybody say anchor. Everybody say anchor. 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 Everybody online say anchor. Anchor. Right? I, can, I can't hear you, but I know you say anchor, right? Okay? Now, anchor your longings in God. Don't let them slide. Don't let them drift. Don't let them run everywhere. Okay? On that note, I want to show you three things about longing. Okay, um, uh, as we long for a savior to come into our lives, I want to talk a little bit about broken foundations. I want to talk a bit about uh, the bizarre fulfillment of our longings, and then I'll talk a bit about sometimes our hopes are dashed so many times that our belief in, in, in a good outcome it becomes very fragile and we actually don't dare to hope anymore. Right? Let's look into some of these things, but let's start with the first one: broken foundations. Now. If I were to say, how many of you, you would be very open about the things you want? Some of you might say, yeah, oh yeah, okay, you know. But then in reality, there are some things we desire that we might not be so candid about. Maybe it's because we are not sure whether we'll be perceived, um, especially sometimes even in a worse still in a churchy environment. We might think that, oh, don't know if people will judge me. Don't know if uh, 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 people will think that my desires are very carnal, you know. But, but how many of you guys, you want to be rich? Don't that, no, nobody there to raise their hands. Hey, you, if I say uh, you get a bit of extra money in your pocket, no, nobody wants me. Nobody, online your one not, right? <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind another hundred bucks, you know, to, to, to like, you know, have a nice meal. Of course. But if I ask you, how many of you, you want to be rich? 
how many of y'all were like, yeah, that's me, you know? So that's one of those weird things, right? Like, oh, I, I don't know if I dare to confess to this. People will look at me funny. They'll think like, oh, why are you so carnal one, you know? Uh, Christians shouldn't have this desire. Now, okay, okay. So we don't dare to confess that we want to be rich, okay? Um, how many of you want, you want a really nice car? You want a really nice car, right? Okay, I, I, see, I see a bunch of hands going out here. You want a really nice car. Now, now on the surface... What you want is a nice car. But remember just now we were talking about what's happening underneath what's on the surface, right? What is the longing underneath you wanting a really nice car? Now, maybe the longing, the deep uh, underlying longing for wanting a so-called nice car is that you would like to be noticed. And maybe your whole life nobody noticed you. And, and, and maybe that's why, you know, you get to 35 and you say, I really want a really nice car. And because in somewhere deep inside your inner milieu, there is a deep unmet longing to be seen. And, so, and, and maybe if we start looking at everybody's desires that's on the surface, and we start looking one level, two levels deeper, and say that maybe, maybe the person who says, I want to be rich, Maybe deep underneath them, there is a longing to be safe. And as we, we start looking underneath our, our, our wants and our desires, which sometimes we confess and sometimes we won't, right? And look underneath it, maybe we can find some longings deep underneath it that uh, may even be legitimate, may be fair. At the very least, if we look at those things, maybe we can even learn to be more compassionate and more gracious to one another. But it is on this note, I want to show you James chapter 1. Because James chapter 1 is going to show us what happens to all these longings when they interface with carnal people. Now, we are still carnal people. We are still fleshly people. We are still not fully set free from the coils of sin that entangle us. Now, Jesus has paid the price on the cross. That's done. But we still interface with our own sinful nature every day. What happens when our legitimate longings that boil from underneath us interface with uh, our own sinful flesh? James chapter 1 is describing that. Let me read to you the whole thing for context, but it really kicks in around verse 14-15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and is she lured as well, okay? When they are lured and enticed by their own desires. Now this is the crunch. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, what's happening here? What's happening here is this. You have all these longings in your heart. You want to be noticed? That's a legitimate desire. You want to feel safe? That's a legitimate desire. And some of these, I'm just using these two examples, there are many more. Some of these things, when they boil up, they interface with our sinful nature, and then what comes out of that is sinful desires. So you want to feel safe. That's legit. 
And then when that interacts with you and your own brokenness and your own sin and your own whatever, you know, and then it gives birth to, I, I want to I wanna put this girl down. You know, I know why? Because every time I'm with her, I feel like she is smarter than me, she's prettier than me, she's uh, this, all these things more than me, right? It's not hard to be prettier than me, right? Um, there's all these other things more than me, right? And, and, and you say that, I don't feel safe. I, I, I feel small. I feel, I, I, I feel like a failure next to her. And then it gives birth to a sinful desire. The sinful desire is like, every time she tells a joke, I'm going to make fun of that joke. You know? By the way, I used to do that. Huh? There was this guy in school, uh, Form 4, uh, there was this guy called Ang. Okay? And, and for some reason, I, was, I, f I felt threatened by him. Okay? And every time uh, uh, this brother uh, uh, would tell jokes, I would m make fun of his jokes and then, uh, and then in the end, people started laughing at me making fun of his jokes rather than laughing at his jokes and I kind of got a kick out of that but it actually, it was actually quite, quite not cool of me because I actually was quite threatened by him. Okay, uh, um, and so and so that was that's an example of how. Now, what did was my inner longing? My inner longing was that I wanted to be noticed. I wanted to be seen, and he was constantly being seen because he's just one of those goofy guys who's always telling jokes, and, and, and everybody loves his jokes. And so, um, in my own sinfulness, uh, it all came out, and then I started to kind of like like take jibes at him back, you know. And then one day he got so angry, he came up to me and he shouted at me. He was like, "Fellas, what's wrong with you, huh? How come every time you die?" It's like, "Wow!" Oh, he really gave it to me. I was like, "Wow!" And I realized for the first time in my life, like, "Oh my gosh!" I didn't even realize I do it. Like, I mean, I, I kind of know I do it, but I didn't realize the effect it had on him. And then that day, I realized the effect it had on him. And over the years, as I came to know the Lord, as I came to understand uh, uh, things like how our longings work and read uh, parts of the scripture like J James 1, I realized now that there are all these things that's happening and it's a progression, right? That, that your, evil, your, your carnal desires okay, uh, um, mature into sin. That's what James 1 verse 15 is saying. Your carnal desires mature into sin. Sin matures into death. And so there is a growth process, but it's a growth of a, of a vicious growth, right? It's a vicious growth thing. Because what's happening is that your longings, my longing to be noticed was fine. It's a fair desire to be noticed. But then when it interfaces with my own carnal nature, it becomes sinful. And then Fergus started to put down Ang, and then, th and then this thing happened, and then it grows into sin. I sinned against him. Many times I sinned against him, right? And, and I didn't just sin, but it leads to death. A part of me started dying in terms of how I regard him, that died in my heart. And over time, how he regards me also dies because sin breaks relationships. And that's what happens. That's what James 1 is trying to say about how longing interrelates with sin and death, right? So, my friends, let's dial back to Advent. Advent, waiting for the coming of our Lord. Now, Remember, when I showed you the, the recap just now, that God's people themselves waited. And as they waited, they longed for a Savior. They longed for a Messiah to come and save them. Now, what did that longing, where did that longing get placed in? 
when it interrelates and interfaces with their carnal nature, they start accepting uh, rulers like the Maccabean rulers. They start accepting rulers like the Herodian rulers. And they're saying that, oh, I think this is not too bad. Why? Because underneath that desire is a longing to be safe. Underneath it is a longing uh, uh, to, be, to, be, to have control. Right? Underneath it is a longing to, to, have, to be significant on that land or to be able to hold on uh, to that land and maybe in their minds that was the best possible chance for them to hold on uh, to that Judean piece of land uh, thinking that if you know whatever whatever it might be right and so deep longing interfacing with sin birth sin birth death right in the amateurs eventually into death now what about all this how then Shall we, how then shall we manage how we are and our deepest longings? How do we make sure that when we have all these longings, that they don't keep birthing into sin? How do we make sure they don't, right? Now, I want to show you the next text. So if the, if the broadcasting can show me, yes, Hebrews 9, it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification for the, of the flesh, Verse 13, in simplified form is, if, for example, in the old temple system where they symbolate the animal and then in their minds that purifies the flesh, that is, a, that, that is a, a form of cleansing for you on a physical level, but spiritual level, actually what's happening, right? He's saying that how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, our conscience, that part that gives birth to sin, that matures into death, that part needs the touch of Christ. It needs the touch of the blood of Jesus. When there is no God in our lives, we are in high waters. Anything can happen. We are literally at the mercy of market forces. And market forces in this case means how your desires interrelate with how difficult the world is, interrelate with, with your own past, your own baggage, your own trauma, your own childhood. And all these things are just going to ram into each other. And then carnal nature gives birth to sin. Sin matures into death. And that's going to happen. Fergus experienced it when he, when he made fun of this guy called Ang in Form 4 and it will happen to every single one of us as well. What did Fergus need? Form 4 Fergus needed the blood of Christ. That Fergus needed the blood of Christ to cleanse him and to purify his conscience so that his conscience will be pricked about how he has been wounding this friend of his and, and, then, and so that dead works, remember maturity into death, dead works can be truncated, life can be brought back again by the life-giving blood of Jesus. Every single one of us needs to take heed and know that outside of the blood of Jesus, we are trending towards death. I was saying to my wife recently, I was so tired, and, uh, and, and, and I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm dead, I'm, I'm, I'm so tired. I, I, and then I told her, actually it's a lyric from a 90s song, if you're 90s people, you all might know. I told her, babe, I've been dying since the day I was born, right? And, and that's how I felt like at that moment, right? And to some extent, yeah, it's true. 
We're all dying since the day we were born, right? We're living this finite life. But you know what? The blood of Christ gives life. Not just life, eternal life, everlasting life. Life that abounds into everlasting more and more life. And that's what we need. In its absence, we trend towards death. We will be so-called dying since the day we were born, right? Um, but in the power of the blood of Jesus, we find a life that is satisfying and it gives birth to more and more eternal life. Now, now, where am I going with all this? I want to start you off by understanding how longing works and some of the th ways in which longing gives birth to brokenness. But I want to show you now my second point. The second point is this. There, is, there are broken foundations, but there is a bizarre, absolutely dumbfounding way in which the longings of our heart get fulfilled. And often, it is true, when it's true God, it is often in the way that you least predict it. So, dialing back, first advent, people waited for a Messiah. They were looking for someone who is strong. Who doesn't, who doesn't want to be strong? Who doesn't want a leader who's strong? You're looking for a leader who's strong. They're looking for a leader who is decisive. They're looking for a leader who makes them feel safe. They're looking for a leader who will put down all their enemies and to cast all their enemies out. And then they found them in all the pretender kings of their day. We've gone through this. But you know what? How did the Messiah come? How did the Savior come? He came humble he came lowly he came like a man not even just as a man he came as a doulos the greek word is as a slave a bond servant now you and i would not have predicted that we would have predicted that he would have come from a royal lineage actually he did David's lineage, right? But we have predicted he came from wealth, old money. We predicted that he would come for, uh, with lots of pomp, lots of grandeur, and everybody will be celebrating him from, from his birth, and he will be primed to success. He will go to the best schools. He will go to the best colleges. He will get everything primed for him, and this is the kind of saviour we're looking for. That's what they look for. Frankly, that's still what we look for. That's why we only pick people who look, quote-unquote, look presidential, right? And we, do, and we don't even look at people who don't have the right looks, don't have the right package. But what does the Bible say about Jesus? From the Old Testament already in Isaiah, it says he had no beauty that we should desire him. He had none of the package that would make us say, wow, this guy, he's got my vote. It's a bizarre way for God to send a saviour into a homeless situation. Mary and Joseph, trekking around the Bethlehem uh, 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 frontiers, looking for a proper place to give birth, full term, right? Contractions coming. Looking for a place, a decent inn, a decent home, a decent place to find shelter and to give birth. Itu pun tada. Itu pun tada. In the end, given like, like, like the spare room of the spare room, so to speak. And in that spare room, Savior of the world is born. Into those humble beginnings, you know, Messiah, hope of the world, enters. You would think he would be laid onto the softest linen. He was laid into an animal food, uh, a food trough, right? Animal's food trough as his first bed. And years later, he would say, you want to follow me, disciples? Because they were all saying, I want to follow you. He said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. 
but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So let's look. Let's look one layer deeper into this. My favourite, one of, I, I would say, my favourite passage of Scripture this year. This year, Philippians 3, which when you click, you'll see I've mislabeled it as 2 Timothy, okay? But ignore 2 Timothy. I really meant to type Philippians, okay? Um, and, and sometimes, you know, the brain says one thing and the fingers type something else. So that's, that's me, right? It's not, it's not 2 Timothy 3, it's Philippians 3. Or is it 2? I think it's Philippians 2. Regardless, the text is this. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. Now, I want you to draw a V in your eyes, okay? Everybody draw, see a V? Okay, okay, okay. Top part of the first V, okay? Though he was, right? Was, where, where am I? Verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, high, exalted, form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he did not leverage on it. He did not lord it over people. He did not use it and seize it. The Greek word is seize. He did not seize upon it to his advantage. He is high, he is lofty, but he had the right character to, to carry that loftiness. But then verse 7, he emptied himself. Draw the V down. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, that's the doulos. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is the Christmas story. He's born like a servant in the likeness of men. It's Philippians 2, thank you. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death. It's like, what, the V is going down, okay? Obedient to the point of death. Even a death on a cross, which is a criminal's death. And because of this, because he humbled himself, because he, he lowered himself from the lofty place co-eternal with God the Father in heaven, lowered himself to the point not just of a normal guy, but the most humble of people. Like the foreign worker, the slave, right? In today, like, like, the, like slave labor today. Humbled himself, therefore... Every time you see therefore, you need to ask what the therefore is therefore. That therefore is there to tell you that because of the humbling, God highly exalted him. The word for exalted, highly exalted, is the best English equivalent to the Greek word which says hyper-exalted. Hyper-exalted. So, I told you just now to visualize a V, right? Because he came down so low, God highly exalted him, hyper-exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. In other words, this name was not formally bestowed on him. Now, we can spend one whole day, maybe in the future, to think about what's the difference between the divine position of the second person on Trinity before incarnation and after incarnation. That's another day's uh, theological uh, conversation. But what we do see from here is that out of his humbling and death on a cross, he was highly exalted and then bestowed a name. This name is a name above every other name. This name is a name upon which every knee must bow now. And every in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in other words, complete subjection to this name and every tongue now must confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father how did 
Jesus Christ, second person on the Trinity, the Son, get hyper-exalted to this place by coming in a way that confounds all our expectations. We waited for something grand, he came humble. We waited for something great and majestic, he came in a foot trough. We waited for someone to be mighty and strong and authoritative, and he came meek and mild, yet self-assured. Let's look at the next slide, because I want to show this to you. Jesus shows us that to access true might, Jesus went to the cross to be killed. Almost, you can say, the exact opposite of what we are trained to think of true might is humble submission unto death. Jesus taught us that to access true righteousness, he withstood false charges. You want to be right? You want to defend yourself? You want to be justified? He says, the pathway to justification is you tahan all the false charges. Wow! How many of you want to take this path? That the path to kingdom power is through humility, it's through self-sacrifice, it's through suffering injustice. What kind of faith is it? If this is Christianity, I don't want, man. How many of you are feeling If this is Christianity, I don't want this. I, like, like this is totally counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It's the most bodo set of equations I could ever th- see someone show. And yet... And yet, we see that for Jesus to access and create an access for all of us into perfect love, Jesus himself had to first be rejected by bearing our sin and shame and bearing it on the cross. He shows us that to access full healing, Jesus first himself had to be wounded. My friends, we're looking at this why is this important? It's important because as we long for a saviour in our lives, it is so often we start looking in all the wrong places to find signs of life. Let me say that one more time. We look at all the wrong places to find signs of life. But the world trains us that those are the right places. We go to them. We do find what appears to be signs of life. And then those signs of life, we taste them. We drink from those pools. They, they, they sustain us for a short while. And then it dries up in our mouths. And we have to keep going back for more. And if you see what God is trying to say, if he unclogs our ears and takes away the blindness from us, we realize that those waters are not the real thing. Last week, I talked to you about the counterfeit. These things are exactly what they are, the counterfeit. Where, why, what does it mean? To access true might, you need to lord it over other people. Does it work? Yes. For a short while, it will pay off. And so it will pay off to the extent that it will drug you into thinking that more of this is going to be needed and so that's what I'll do. And you will be drugged into thinking that lording it over other people gives you true power. But it dries up and you have to keep going back. It's a, it's a cistern with holes. It's like pockets with holes. You keep putting money in it, it keeps falling out. You keep putting hopes in it, it keeps failing you. It keeps failing you. 
which is why today it's so important as we wait for a savior as we wait for christmas we know to put our longings in the right place what is the right place what is the right system it is the one that befuddles you is the one that confounds you you would never have thought you would never have thought that eternal hope lies in something so humble so casual so not casual so humble so normal so 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 slave-like so servant-like because we all thought that it would come through a package that looks much better why is this important because we put our hopes in things every day whether you want it or not our hopes are just coming out and they're sliding in every direction and if we're not careful those hopes will slide into places that are conventional looking places for success and that's where god is saying don't put your hopes in the shiny bright things in this life but put your hopes in christ and the biblical pattern for putting your hopes in christ is that the pattern is that you find that which will confound you all your expectations now you don't just go looking for anything that confounds you you look at christ and when he confounds you know that he's a safe place to be he is always a safe place to be let's look at this let's look at this again right on on, on the slides there are broken foundations in other words, we have longings that are deep and legitimate, but when they interface with our human carnality, our human fleshiness, it becomes sinful. It gives birth to death. Death, right? And how, how then shall we find fulfillment for all our deepest longings in the most bizarre way possible? In other words, let me go back to the example I gave you just now. You want to be noticed? You say, I want a flashy car. Because for the first time in my life, I wish someone noticed me. Guess what? They will notice you for a short period of time. And then your flashy car will wear off. And then you will need to out-flashy your flashy car for people to take notice of you again. And the real problem here is that people don't really notice you. They are noticing your car. And guess what? Your deepest longings are still not met. And really... The, the, the most true way for people to really notice you is the path of self-effacing, humility, not trying to draw attention to yourself, but considering others as the Bible teaches, considering others as more important. Um, by the way, I'm not rich shaming here, okay? I'm not told, told you, I promise you, that's not my heart, okay? I'm just trying to say, if your longings are to use external things to make yourself feel better, that will not satisfy. So, how will it satisfy by following the path of Christ? The path of Christ says that when you lay down your own life to live and walk in the way I have walked ahead of you, true noticing takes place. Someone will really start to notice you. Same thing for military rulers. You want to grip, you want to kill everybody else to stay in power because at the heart of it, you want to feel safe. The safest place is in the hands of God. And it, again, the package looks like totally counterintuitive, but that is the safest place to be. My friends, as we approach Christmas, you will see, you will hear the story told all over again, sung all over again, right? Long time ago in Bethlehem, as the Holy Bible says, right? Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born, what? In a manger, in humble conditions, right? On Christmas Day. Now, underneath or 
happening all around this. We have looked at our foundational beliefs and our foundational longings. We have looked at how the best way to fulfill them is through the unconventional path, the bizarre path of Christ. But along the way, you might say, Pastor, don't lie, Pastor. Really, seriously, don't. I have done this whole thing before. I've placed my hopes in so many things before and I've had it dash, dash, dash to bits. By the way, God's people also experienced that huh? when they put their hopes in the Maccabean family, their hopes there were dashed to bits. Huh? And when they put their hopes in the Herodian family, those hopes were dashed to bits as well. Huh? It just took a matter of years. And after that, guess what? More would-be messiahs continued to arise even after Jesus died and was raised back. More messiahs came back. You're curious about history? Go read up on the Bar Kokhba revolt. Right? There was another bright light. Wow! Everybody was like, oh, this guy is going to stand up to the Romans. And then that fizzled away. And then more people. Every time a bright hope arises, everyone's like, yeah! And then when this thing proves to be mere mortal, and then it fades away, your hopes are dashed. And that happens to us as well. We keep putting our hopes in one thing or another until we say, you know what, I don't want to hope anymore. And then you grow bitter, you grow cynical, and you say, no, la, this world is just stinks, everything is just, I, I, it will never happen one la, you know. Like, I've been told I'm, I have a cynical streak myself. So I think maybe I know a little bit about what it's like to have your hopes kind of like overinflated, not met, you feel crushed, and you say, no, you know what, forget it. I don't want to hope on this anymore. And then you come to a time like Christmas, everyone tells you, no, you should hope. Season, this is a season for hope. This is a season for faith. And you're like, no, no, I've heard your whole church thing. I've heard it over and over again, right? I don't want this. I've been wounded before. I don't want this. And then our, our, our faith, the core of our faith, now becomes wounded, tender, fragile, prone to being brittle, right? And, it, and maybe because it's never been healed properly before, it just has, it, it's just prone to breaking all over again and you guard it, right? You guard it with, a, with, a, with, with all kinds of protective mechanisms. That's why sometimes we hold people at bay. Sometimes people want to share Jesus. We say, no, no, don't, don't, don't even start, right? I, I did that once before. I told, I told a friend, don't even start with this Jesus thing with me, right? Why? Why, why suddenly you're know, so hostile? Maybe it's because deep inside us, there is a longing to not be wounded again. But how is that longing to not be wounded going to interface with our reality in such a way that it doesn't give birth to death, it gives birth to potential for life? My friends, sometimes I'll admit, churches may even encourage you down the path unwittingly, unnoticingly, encourage you down the path where your hopes are placed on pastors. I can tell you, ain't going to happen. You place your hope on a pastor, you're going to be dashed. Place your hopes on a denomination that's going to get dashed. You place your hopes on a church that's going to get dashed. You place your hopes on a vision of the church like, whoa, we're getting like really close to it, right? We're getting really close. No, that too will fade. Place your hopes on, oh, I know it's not the church, it's the community, it's the people, it's the believers. No, they're going to fail you. I can tell you, I'm going to fail you one day. You're, you're going to have expectations of your pastors that, I, that I, I will not be able to meet. Uh, just here, 65 here, 20 here, 30 here. How many, how many different sets of expectations do you have for your pastor, for your pastor's wife, for your pastor's family to look a certain way? I guarantee you we're going to fail to meet your expectations. For your team, 
for your prayer team. You're going to have expectations on your prayer team to be a certain way, for your worship team to be a certain way, for your cell leader and your zone leaders to be a certain way. I guarantee you, at some point, we're all going to dash your hope. So my friends, how do we cope? The only way to really cope, huh, my friends, I want to show you this in the text. Okay, because I'm not preaching out of my own knowledge. I'm preaching to you from the Bible. And what the Bible is saying, Proverbs 3, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, in other words steadfast love, faithfulness must become really mashed into you until it is part of you. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. Verse 5, trust in Yahweh. This is very similar to what we saw just now in Psalm 37. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Trust in our Lord. With all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. So my friends, if you have gone through pain, today I want to acknowledge it. If you have been wounded by church, I want to acknowledge it. If you have been wounded by Christians who made you feel small, who dissed your, your, your own faith background, who dissed you for your own faith community, maybe they didn't mean to, to diss you, maybe they did mean to diss you. And you feel wounded by these things before, and you say, no, 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 please don't, right? If there is one thing I want you to see, Proverbs 3 verse 5 does not say trust in your fellow Christians. It does not say trust in your pastor or your senior pastor or your lead pastor. It says trust in God. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. And I'm not saying that you should just cut off all the church things around you and say, uh, for me, I just have a relationship with God and I don't want this church thing. But that's not his vision as well. When you trust in God, one day God is going to tell you, I want you to be in a community of believers. And though they're going to wound you a little bit here and there, guess what? You're going to wound them back. And that's how, what, what it means for sinful people to kind of like rub shoulders with each other. Is that we're bound to hurt each other. But with God in the middle, He can bring restoration and healing. And we just looked at it a few weeks ago when we, when we, when we looked at similar topics uh, um, about restoration, healing, and in welcoming relationships, right? Trusting God with all your heart. And uh, your own understanding will say no more. I don't want to hope anymore. But don't lean on that understanding. God says lean on my understanding, says God. In all your ways, acknowledge God. And I'm showing you Philippians 4 almost as a continuation, Right? How? How are you going to trust in Him and acknowledge Him? Rejoice in Him. Rejoice in Him always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, when you trust in Him, it will be clear to everybody that as He transforms you, you grow in reasonableness. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about this or that. Remember, I shared with you, your heart is going to slide in many places without God. But with God, anchor your longings down. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, supplication to Him, that's trusting in Him, that's, that's leaning on His understanding, right? In everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God. Then the peace of God which surpasses all of un all this understanding. Surpasses understanding, understanding. It, it so happened to end up on the same row as well, right? That surpasses all understanding that you are otherwise going to lean on. 
Let the peace of God surpass even that. So your understanding can take you so far, but the peace of God surpasses that. And when it surpasses that, your heart is guarded in its truest way possible. Now, if you have been wounded, you know a thing or two about guarding your heart. You won't let some, some people in. You won't let some beliefs in. You won't let some hopes to rise up. When it rises up, it can't penetrate because you've guarded your heart. You've walled yourself up already. My friends, that, as I've shown you, will not be enough. It will protect you in one way. It will wound you in another. It will appear to help you thrive in one way. It will starve you in another way. But when the peace of God surpasses your own mechanisms for survival and it guards your heart, the peace of God guards your heart in a way that we cannot guard our own hearts. And what does it mean for the peace of God to guard our hearts? And we're going to end now. We're going to end. My friends, when God's peace guards our hearts, it is like a fence. It is like a gate. If you used to live in a, if you lived in an old ancient city, the ancient cities would have walls around the city, and the city walls guard you from people outside coming in and from people inside just alang alang going out and getting themselves killed. That's the picture. The peace of God are like gates. It guards the heart that is inside, and if you guard your own heart, you build it either too high, such that nothing can come in. Or you build it too low such that anything can come in and ravage you. And we can't get it right. When the peace of God instead say, God, I let you guard my heart. I let you show me how to long. Because I don't know how to long. I long too much and I get hurt. I long too little and I become bitter and cynical. I don't know how to do this. But when you long for God and you let His peace guard you, he becomes the gatekeeper. And that which is righteous and true and good and brings life, he lets in. That which comes in to rob, steal, kill, destroy, he keeps them at bay, he destroys and he sends them out. That's what it means for the peace of God. Guard your heart and guards your minds so it does not let just anything infiltrate your thinking. He guards your minds. My friends, my friends, if you have been in this place, you don't know what to do with this whole area of desires and longings because you're afraid that if you long too much, you get hurt. And you've been hurt many times. You long too little, you become cynical and bitter and dry. My friends, this Christmas season, as we approach and wait for the coming of our Lord, let us rest in Him. And I know it's, not, it's, it's easier said than done. But we still have to do it. We still have to rest in Him. So this is how we're going to do it. Right now, today, everybody physical, everybody online, I'm going to open the prayer rooms in a moment. But before we do that, I want you to just hold your hands open. No one has to see, no one looking around anyway. Physical, no one looking around. All eyes closed. All eyes closed. And as you hold your hands open, I'm going to pray so that God can come into your life and touch a part of your heart that has been wounded, that dares not hope, or a part of your heart that longs so much and keeps getting hurt over and over again 
And it's almost like you keep allowing it to happen again and again. That broken part inside of us. The seat of our deepest desires. It might be a desire to be loved. It might be a desire to be noticed. It might be a desire to be important. It might be a desire to, to be safe. Whatever it is, I encourage you, hold your hands open, allow God in. And, and holding your hands open is not a magic charm. It's not. It's really just a physical posture to represent the spirit posture, the posture in our hearts. And I'll pray this with you. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, say Heavenly Father, I invite you in to touch this part of my heart that has been wounded before and for some times I've walled it up so hard so I don't let anyone in again Father today I let your peace guard me instead I lower my walls to you only but I lower it for you to build back new true good better walls to protect me from harm do not let me be harmed again. I fear it so much. But protect me, Lord. I want you to protect me. Today onwards, I declare I don't want to protect myself anymore. In that sense, that I don't want to be the final person to guard my own heart. I want you to guard me. I want you to guard me. And all these walls that I built, I don't really know how to do it well. Lord, I either do it too much, I hit too hard, or I hit too soft. Lord, you take over and guard my heart. Some of you, you keep allowing things, your boundary is porous. And you let some people to keep coming back in to wound you and wound you and wound you. You don't know how to keep them at bay. Maybe because you're in your heart, you feel it's not nice. And you feel it's not Christian to put people at bay. You don't know how to keep your boundaries, but you keep getting hurt. You keep getting hurt. And in your deepest longings, you wish someone would protect you. Or in your deepest longings, you wish people would just be nicer to you and treat you nicer, but they just don't. And every time they come into your orbit, they keep wounding you all over again. And you don't know how to make it stop. Pray this with me. Father, today I invite you to build a wall around my heart according to your peace so that you got me, so that people who want to come and trample me, you will put them at bay. But people who can, uh, and, and those things that can come in, you can allow in. You be the gatekeeper of my heart from now on. Father, I don't know how to gatekeep my own heart. Father, you see, I'm too soft. I let people in all the time. And even though I don't like it, I keep letting them in. I don't know how to say no. Father, teach me. Teach me. And be my gatekeeper, for your word says in John chapter 10, I am the gate of the sheep. And all who enter in and out of me as the gate, they will find rich pasture, they will feed, they will thrive. And all who pass by me back into the, to, to the sheep pen will find safety, they will lie down in green pastures, they will be safe. Lord, today, essentially, Lord, I put all of my longings in your heart and in your hands hold it Lord hold it gently but hold it firm enough I don't know how to hold it myself but you hold it for me 
Lord Jesus, minister to every single one of my friends here in church on this morning. And you reach deep into the part, minister to, the, to them in spirit. For deep calls to deep right now, as they call out to God deep in your spirit, I pray and, and ask Holy Spirit, come and touch every heart. Every heart, not even one, not touched. Every heart touched by the power of the living God and heal. And Lord, may your gates of peace arise. May your gates of peace arise. And may we hand you the keys. Hand you the keys and say, Lord, you take over. So I just sense in my heart that some of you, you want to rededicate your life back to Jesus. If you want to rededicate your life, you've been far from Him. In fact, you've essentially been virtually almost not Christian in the way you live. If that is you, I just want to pray with you a short prayer. But I want you to amen to it. Heavenly Father, I want to come back to you. I've wandered so far from you. I want to come back to you. And I don't want to wander far away anymore. Today, I see that you are active and present. And I'm putting my hands in yours. I'm putting my heart in yours. And the pastor's preaching telling me that it's a safe place to be. And I want to trust you. Some way, I still don't fully trust you. Help me with my unbelief. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Today, I put my hands and my heart back into you. And I trust you and come back to you all over again. Amen. If that is you, and you prayed that prayer to rededicate your life back to Jesus, I want you to let someone know so that we can continue walking with you and build your faith back up. But before we go on, if there is anyone here who's not a Christian, you have never put your life into the hands of Jesus before, as if to say, you are my God. I follow you. You are my one true living hope. If you have never prayed this prayer before, but today you sense the Lord stirring you to trust Him completely once and for all. I want to pray this prayer over you and I want you to repeat it with me. Heavenly Father, I have searched for my longings to be fulfilled everywhere and I keep getting broken. I don't know how to find real satisfaction. Today, Pastor is saying it's in you. I kind of want to believe that it would be in you. Because if it were in you, God, wouldn't it be so much easier if I found you and you found me? And then you can receive me and all this would make sense. And I want to trust you. I really want to trust you. And I've never done this before. I don't even call you Lord. I just say you are Jesus, my friend's God. But today, I want to call you Lord. Today, I want to turn my life over to you. And I've never done this before, so help me. I don't know how to do it. If that is you, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I receive you as my greatest hope, my one true God. Today, you become King over my life. I unseat myself from my own throne. I invite you to step in. 
take over. I am yours, wholly yours, forever yours, and you are mine. Father, we thank you, Lord. We lift up our hands before you, and we say, Lord God, we put all our chips in you, we put all our stock in you, we put all our hopes in you. You promised us you will not fail us, you will not leave us, you will not forsake us. Teach us to know the line between putting our trust in you and in church, in you and in pastors, in you and in people. But Lord, we want to put our faith in you. We really want to put our trust in you. And we want to declare, as the song says, Semua lidah akan mengaku. Today, my lidah will mengaku as well. My tongue will confess. My hope is in you. So church, the word of God says, Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you like that great faithfulness which is new every morning. May he make his countenance, turn it to face you, notice you, see you, love you, strengthen you, protect you. And may he give you peace. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. Amen.